Jewish Latin Princess, episode 124, Kathy Heller, host of Don't Keep Your Day Job. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at JewishLatinPrincess.com, your host, Yael. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Have you been wondering if it's time to do something bigger, better, something that feels truly meaningful and on purpose? And can it be done online, you wonder? And could you actually make a lot of money doing it? Today's show's for you. I have the super wise Kathy Heller, and she's on fire. Kathy is the host of the popular podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, which has 13 million downloads and has been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Huffington Post, Inc. Magazine, Business Insider, and several times by Apple. Every week, Kathy encourages thousands and thousands of listeners to find more purpose in their life and get paid to do what they love full time. In the show, she's interviewed creative entrepreneurs, many of them names you're very familiar with, like Seth Godin, Lisa Simpson, Jonathan Adler, Bobby Brown, Gretchen Rubin, Shark Tank's, Shark Tank's Barbara Corcoran, Paralympic medalist Amy Purdy, and Starbucks' Howard Schultz, amongst others. She's also the author of the book, Don't Keep Your Day Job, filled with inspirational stories and details about how to find the work you were meant to do, how to grow your business, and level up your quality of life all around. And Kathy is a super spiritual woman, a woman of faith. So do you think this is going to be an awesome conversation? I mean, ladies, we could have gone on for two more hours. Bring us some dark chocolate, some tea, and we could have just kept going. And I have a feeling that's what we'll be doing at some point soon, because as you'll see, we totally connected. We talk about Kathy's transformation. How did she get to where she is today? What are the best practices to pursuing the dream job and letting go of the day job? Because no, it's not meant to be drop it all and go sleep in the back of your car. So also, how does one get clarity on what is the business that one should pursue, i.e. the dream job? And how does one make money at it? Because ultimately, if we want to serve the world in a really big way, we have to monetize this dream also. And so yes, inevitably, we went into the topic of money, which we're both very passionate about. You're absolutely going to love Kathy. And before I bring her own on, I wanted to let you know that due to high demand, I opened the doors to the Jewish Money Makeover a second time because I filled out the course. Uh, with the first 10 women really, really quickly. And so I decided to open it again. So if you're a woman who's sick of feeling, feeling stuck in your financial life, you're ready to change your thoughts, your emotions, and your behaviors around money, then join me in the Jewish Money Makeover. It's a tremendous value at $99 because I'm giving you everything I've learned over the years so that you can come out of this pandemic, out of this recession with an entirely new financial paradigm. I have peace in this area of your life and yes, create more wealth as well. So the doors are open for Jewish Money Makeover, a second cohort of only 10 women. I can't take more than that because I really wanted to make it an intimate group. And with this group, I'm starting Wednesday, May 6th. So get in now. Don't get left out. Check out all the details and the enrollment information at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash JMM for Jewish Money Makeover. And without further ado, here's the lovely Kathy Heller. Kathy 
Lucy Heller. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. It's so great to have you on the show. I'm so happy to be here, Yael. You are such a beautiful soul, and it just feels so good, you know, to be with my people. I love it. This was meant to be, and it's so interesting, Kathy. I was thinking this morning how we've been wanting to do this since, I think, like January of 2020, Mm -hmm. but we had to keep rescheduling because, you know, that's just life. And now we ended up, we're recording right in the middle of this quarantine, and I feel like it's so timely, like, because I don't know about you, but I feel, well, first of all, let me just tell listeners, which I already bragged about you in the introduction, of course, but you are the creator (laughs) of Don't Keep Your Day Job and an author of this book and the podcast. And sadly, or not sadly, that's not the word, but I just feel like this is a time where your message is is perfect because it's a time to really rethink what do we want to do in life? It's like our values have been really exposed to the core and to really live with more purpose and intention. Um, So I think this is just so timely. The time is ripe for this type of conversation, basically. I completely agree. I feel grateful to be able to serve at any time, but it feels it feels meaningful to mm-hmm. be able to share something that will give people some kind of hope and lift and possibility. Yeah, yeah. You know, Kathy, when I first came across your work about a year ago, the first thing that came to my mind, especially, you know, getting into the podcast, don't keep your day job, etc., was where was Kathy Heller when I was struggling in college and in grad school? <laughs> and honestly, most of my adult life with questions like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what, what am I supposed to be doing? And who do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> yes, of course. I totally relate to that. And, yeah. And I think the reason I'm bringing it up, because is I know that you probably could relate to that. And I think it was part of your transformational journey. And I would love for you to take us a little bit back on that journey, paint the picture of what was going on in Kathy's life that led to this transformation towards, you know, Kathy, the don't keep your day job message, Kathy. Yeah, I mean, I really always wanted to sort of find a sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my parents had a really, really rough marriage, and they wound up getting divorced. And my mom struggled with suicide. And um, it, it seemed to me when I was growing up that people grew up to be really unhappy adults, mm-hmm. you know, that they wound up being in marriage marriages that were awful or that they had to give up their dreams completely. And there was just so much painted. This picture for me that was painted was just like so devoid of meaning. Also, I didn't grow up with God or spirituality. You know, I knew I was Jewish. I knew I knew like Woody Allen movies and I knew Locks and Bagels and I knew about the Holocaust, but I didn't have a relationship to anything that was giving me a sense that there was meaning in the world, mm-hmm. you know? And so to not have that in my home and to not have that connection to something bigger than me, it was not a good thing. And seeing my mom battle depression, I, I, I eventually I heard a rabbi say, once I became more connected years later, he said, the opposite of depression is not happiness its purpose. Mm. And it's so true. And essentially, you know, I went to college, like super, you know, thirsty to find meaning. Mm. And um, I studied religion in college, because I thought maybe, you know, that would give me some window into like how human beings for 1000s of years have connected to why they're on the planet. And that was fascinating. In fact, I wrote my my senior year thesis, I wrote it about the similarities between Moses and Siddhartha, who is the Buddha. Mm. They both grew up in a palace. They both left the palace and became sort of like ascetic. And I mean, Moses, not so much an ascetic, but lived, you know, he became a shepherd. A shepherd. Where the, mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The other one, you know, lived in a palace, then became very much like, 
you know, a person who had very little minimalist. And then they kind of both wound up leading people to enlightenment. It's really interesting. But the point is that um, I wound up going on a, a free birthright Israel trip, which <laughs> Me it was too. the, yeah. And, you know, I went on the very first trip. I was on the very first flight. And when we got to Israel, uh, the prime minister met us at the airport and uh, they were playing, uh, we are family, <laughs> I got all my sisters with me. And there was Love like it. 20 flights that had touched down at Ben-Gurion at the same moment. It was for the millennium 2000. Mm. And we all got off the plane. There was beautiful human beings from Argentina, from you know Switzerland, from France, from the US. And they were, I could cry right now, they were blasting that music. And I was like, I don't even know these people, but I feel mm. so connected. And, you know, the sign just says, welcome home, you yeah. know? And I was like, home? I've never felt home. I've never known home. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. And I lived in Israel. I wound up staying there. I didn't stay two weeks. I wound up staying almost three years. <laughs> and, wow, um, I did not know this. Yeah, and I realized so many things, you know, when I was there. And I learned that we are all a masterpiece. We're a piece of the master. Mm -hmm. And that God doesn't make extras. And that everyone is needed. And I, I, I felt it to my core and I realized, oh my God, it makes sense. You know, why does every person have a different fingerprint? What's the evolutionary need for mm -hmm. different fingerprints? There's no need for it scientifically, but if we have it, it's a sign that everybody leaves a different imprint. And, you know, I have three little girls, a three-year-old, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old. And we, we were just yesterday doing a puzzle and we were doing this puzzle with all these fairies, like in this beautiful garden. And we couldn't find this one last puzzle piece. And it's, it, it's a good metaphor because it doesn't matter where the puzzle piece fits. If it's the corner piece, the middle piece, if the piece is missing, the puzzle feels incomplete. Mm -hmm. And every one of us is one of those pieces. And when we're not there, it's that feeling of, ah, oh, something's missing. It's not complete and it's not a good feeling. And every one of us is needed. And that's the lesson that I really internalized and really heard loud and clear when I was in Israel. And I wound up coming to LA and, you know, I think that the cost of admission to success is the courage to try things and to mm -hmm. iterate and to test things because God doesn't send you an email and say, this is your purpose. This is how you're going to do it. This is how you're going to make it happen. You know, that's not how it works. Right. What happened? We don't have a business plan, you know, with a no, nice script mission statement. And no, you know, exactly. <laughs> it's what you all do. It's all spirit led, you know, mm -hmm. like you just listen to your heart and you trust and you just go and then you do the next thing and the next thing. And I really feel that our job is not to worry about the outcome. It's just to have the courage to take the action and then let Hashem, let God roll it out, you know, mm -hmm. wherever it's supposed to go. And so I was willing to be brave. I was willing to be messy. And part of it is I had no choice. I, I didn't want to become like my parents. I didn't want to be depressed and divorced and struggling with money and struggling to get out of bed. I wanted something different. And so mm -hmm. I was willing to take the risks. And I was very much obsessed with anything personal development. I was very much obsessed with, you know, wherever I would feel sort of my edge of my comfort zone meeting the next level, I was like willing to do whatever it took, which meant I would send an email to someone without knowing exactly, you know, if this person would receive it well, or I would create something or try something. And so, you know, I did a bunch of things. The, the first thing I did is I had this feeling that I should, I should sing and write music because I wanted to speak to an audience. And at the time I didn't see a lot of different ideas for that. I didn't know about podcasting. This is 2007, yeah, right. you know? 
So I was like, well, what if I got a record deal? And so I worked so hard to try to write good songs and move to LA and get noticed. And it's actually really interesting because I got signed to Interscope and Ron Fair was my producer. And I remember that first meeting we had, Mm -hmm. the two of us really connected as humans. And he told me that his grandparents had a Yiddish radio show in the back house of his house growing up in Sherman Oaks. And that was his first intro into radio. And he wound up, you know, recording Christina Aguilera, Lady Mm -hmm. Gaga, like he became a big producer, but it's really interesting. We connected and he said, you know, I'm going to sign you to the label. I think you're awesome. And of course I had really good songs too. You know, I couldn't just have, have a nice personality, but a few months after I got signed, they said, you know what? I don't think it's going to be a smash success. We're not going to be able to go through with it. So I got dropped and I got a bunch of day jobs after that. And I just felt so confused. I was like, I remember once driving in the car and I had to pull over because I was crying so hard. I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm like begging God for an answer. I'm like, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't think I'm supposed to work in an office. I don't think I'm supposed to go to school and become a therapist. All I know is I want to help the world, but I want to do it with my own gifts. Mm -hmm. And I like to be creative and I like to sing and I like to speak. And like, what the heck kind of career is that? (laughs) And I didn't know. The story of my life. You know, I wound up asking myself a new question, which was, is there any other way that I could do something with music other than being a rock star? Mm-hmm. And I started to research and I found out that a lot of artists were writing songs for television shows like Grey's Anatomy and um, they were writing songs that were being used in commercials for Coca-Cola. And I thought, you know what, let me just pursue that. And so that became my focus for a decade. I wound mm-hmm. up asking myself, how do I meet the people who run the ad agencies who choose music? How do I run the pe- how do I meet the people who choose music at Paramount, Universal Pictures? And I I wound up making friends and finding a way to break through the noise and just creating real meaningful interactions as opposed to like cold emailing. Like I figured out how to do that. And Mm. that was a whole journey just to be able to make a relationship first before you pitch someone something. And that was beautiful. Like I learned how to make relationships. And then I learned that the key question that differentiated me from all the other artists is I would say, what do you need? Not here, listen to five songs I have. Can you use them? But what do you need? What do you need? And they said, God, you know, that's so awesome that you you want to be a part of this bigger picture. You want to help us tell the story we're telling on the show and you're willing to write a song rather than have this ego like it has to be this song and if you don't use it, forget it. Yeah, so I'm I here love- to serve you. I'm here to serve you, which already is such a big lesson in life. Yeah. And so I wound up trying, you know, I wound up making a, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year writing songs for TV shows and films and and then I was written about in a few new, like newspapers and magazines like Billboard magazine, Variety magazine, USA Today. And when I say written about, it wasn't just like a, a one line. It was like they would write these full page stories about mm-hmm. how I was how I was writing my own check, how I was paving my own way and and how I was doing such a good job of being an artist and a business person through very like scrappy, you know, sort of like just organic ways. Like there was gorilla. no flash. Yeah, gorilla <laughs> style. And so when that happened, I was pregnant with my third daughter. This was three and a half years ago. And now all these articles were coming out. And all these other songwriters were emailing me and saying, I saw this article, you know, can you teach me how to do that? And I would say, mm-hmm. what are they talking about? And I, I was pregnant and I thought, you know, I would love it if I could help. I don't know if I can, but I'll try 
And I remember I just invited a few people over to my house and I said, we'll do a three hour workshop and I'll try to tell you what I know about TV, film, ads. And it was awesome. And I liked it and they liked it. And so I said, you know what, I'll do it again. So I did it three times. And then I got a call from this woman who heard about it through a friend, but she lived three hours north from here. She lived like in the central coast of California. And she said, I have two kids. I want to learn how to do this licensing music thing, but could you you teach it online because I'm there because I have kids. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't know anything about online business. Like three years ago, I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't have an email list. I didn't know what she was talking about, but I, I was curious. And then, um, she sent me an email as a follow-up and she said, do you realize how much money you could make? And I thought, wow, you know, we live in LA and my husband had a decent job and I was making some months would be great. Some months I'd have nothing. I thought, wow, if I really wanted to send my kids to good schools and buy a big house maybe I should try this. Like, mm-hmm. maybe she's right. What do I have to lose? So three and a half years ago, pregnant in the summer, I did my first webinar, didn't know what I was doing <laughs> with my pregnant belly, no slides, didn't know what a slide would look like. So it was just me talking. And at the end, I said, if you want, I'll teach at the end of the webinar, I said for nine ninety seven, you know, I'll spend a few months with you as a group. And I made $147,000. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then <laughs> the yeah, first and then webinar? I, that was my first time. Yeah. And so I thought, okay. And then I launched it again a few months later after the baby was born and we made like 440,000. And then I started a podcast. Yeah. And one of my students said, what you're teaching is, is so, it's so helpful for anybody who wants to leave their day job and do their dream because you're talking about making a business out of what you love and what that takes. Mm -hmm. And she said, everybody needs that. So I started a podcast and it's been, let me tell you, it's been three years. The podcast now has about 13 million downloads and I've now launched many other courses where I teach people now how to build a business online. I teach people how to podcast, create courses and I teach people all kinds of things. And now when I launch a class, it's a seven figure launch every time. And my husband doesn't work and we live in a beautiful house and I'm able to have certainty during such a crazy time because I've been online and only online working for the last three and a half years. Isn't that insane? That's an insane story. That's insane. I actually, I I didn't even realize that it was such a quick time period or I mean like the the that this really only started a couple years ago it's insane it's really insane yeah now, it's really insane I actually didn't realize how quick it's been either until I stopped and went wait a minute my daughter's only three wow she's only three Maddie so I'm like I was pregnant I was and my first podcast aired January 2017 so I'm like yeah it's only been three years it's really crazy wow that's really really crazy congratulations now the the one thing comes to mind is that I don't think the don't quit your day job model um, is meant to be like this irresponsible fly off the seat of your pants thing. I think there's probably key steps that an aspiring creative entrepreneur or side hustler should be following. Like meaning, are there best practices that one should um, be mindful of? Yeah, 100%. I mean, what I teach in my book, what I teach on the podcast is that it's not good to just take the leap. It's much better to build a bridge, you know, and the reason being is because at the core of a successful business is radical empathy, meaning 
the only way you can have a successful business if you validate the business. Mm -hmm. It has to have proof of concept. And oftentimes people, they just know they hate what they're doing, so they quit. Mm. But then they actually set themselves up to go right back to their job because they haven't yet validated what else they're going to do instead. And so what I say is like, while you have a job, if you do, use that that as your investor and as on the side, start taking decisive action just a few hours every week to start to iterate, start to figure out who would that one human being be who might want to take that yoga class Mm -hmm. or eat those in cupcakes or buy those little pottery bowls you're going to make. Then I would ask them, what have you tried? What have you not tried? What would you pay for this? What color would you like? What flavor would you like? And come back again with a sample product. And once you validated it for one person, see if two people, and then see if people were, were willing and wanting that offer. Yeah. Once you have that, you say, oh my God, if I were to quit this job now, I could focus now on scaling and getting the, that product or that service into the hands of more people. I think that people often overestimate, though, what is necessary, and they underestimate how little it takes for you really to be able to start a side hustle. Meaning, I have a friend who came to me mm-hmm. and said, I love podcasts. I'd love to pitch your podcast, meaning I'd love to get people on your show and get you on people's shows. I've got three packages. She sent me an email. You can pay me 500 a month or 800 or 1200. And for the different packages, I will um, send out this many emails and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I, I took the bait. I hired her. She wound up telling me that I was her first client. Well, it worked out. She sent a bunch of emails. She got me on people's shows. She got people on, on, our show and she got 10 other clients within a month. So then she had 10 people paying her $800. Amazing. You know how quickly it adds up? Like I have a friend who just started, no joke. I have a friend who's also Jewish and adorable. She started making vegan corned beef in her house. She's one of my best friends. She was in my wedding. We went to high school together. She was She was making vegan corned beef because she became vegan and she wanted to make things that her meat eating husband would like. Mm -hmm. So she tried to make vegan corned beef and it got validated, meaning like he liked it. And then she served it at a Hanukkah party and some other people were like, this is good. She's like, you know, it's not meat. It's made out of chickpeas. They're like, what? (laughs) And then she said, wow, people kind of like this. So she called a few delis in the area, just really scrappy and said, can I bring you a sample? One deli said, sure. Then they wound up buying 10 pounds. The 10 pounds sold out. They bought another 10 pounds. Then she realized instead of selling to individuals, I could sell to three delis who each would buy 50 pounds a week and I would be off to the races. She did that. She wound up getting 10 delis. And then would you believe that within eight months, she had auditioned for Shark Tank. She got on Shark Tank. She actually won Shark Tank. Mark Cuban was like, I'm all in. I love the fact that you're doing deli. I'm also Jewish. My grandfather worked. That's what he said to her. He said, my grandfather worked in the delis on the Lower East Side. I want to be a part of this. It was was so good. They totally connected. He's such a mensch. And now she's in Quiznos, Whole Foods, Mendocino Farms. Thousands and thousands of pounds of her corned beef are being sold. This all happened with inside of one year. But here's what I want you to understand. Before she went on Shark Tank, she was already making multi-thousands a month just from having the courage to call five delis and get them to order a few pounds and then they kept reordering. So the question is not, you know, do I have to have it all together before I quit? No, the better oh, question which is- women, I'm sorry to you- cut you off, but it's like the thing that women, I feel like it holds us back so much, right? But go on, the better question is- No, the better question is, who is this for? Let me think Mm -hmm. of one person who it's for, and then let me make the thing, and let me keep testing the thing. You know, like with Jenny and her corned beef, I remember getting the 
the pictures from her when she was first cooking it and it tasted good, but the color wasn't right. You know, she had to do several batches. It was finally like, oh, now the color looks right. The texture looks like corned beef and it tastes good, right? Same thing with my course, same thing with my podcast, same thing with like, it takes a few times with my music. I mean, in the beginning, the songs were mediocre and then they got better. And then I had to ask better questions. Oh, you really want a song about sisters? Okay, let me make that. Let me go back and see how I could say that in a more genuine way. Let me come back with that. You know, so I think those are the pieces that people need to do. And what I see, Yael, is that people think they have a business problem and they think they have a marketing problem, but they just have a courage problem. They're just scared of rejection. And because they're scared of rejection, they're not going to test. They're not going to iterate. And if you don't test and you don't iterate, you don't get back. You know, that's the problem. But if you're willing to just do rapid fire testing and just talk to people and try this and try that, yeah, you might start out thinking that you want to do tarot readings and you might wind up, you know, after testing a few things, realizing that you want to teach people how to organize their closet. Great. But you can't get there without doing stuff. The clarity comes from the doing. So it takes it takes courage. And that's all that's all that it takes is courage and empathy. So so you nailed it because my what what more where my brain was going with all this is that yeah, wow, you know, all about that side hustle, you know, that just and and have that courage to put yourself out there and figure out how you're going to serve people and then iterate and keep iterating until you get it right. Um, But to backtrack a little bit, I was thinking, okay, so how does the person find that clarity? You know, now that we know that, that that is a good thing to do um, to live more purposefully, I guess, and not be stuck in the day job rat race. How does a person find that clarity? And I think you just said, it's just a matter of courage. So, so are you saying it's just you just have to dive in? Is that what you're saying? Um, there's a few pieces that we could go over that I think would help people to digest it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, it takes courage. But when you're starting out and you're like, but I know I need courage, but I don't even know what the heck I meant to do. So let me give you a few yes, exercises. Num- number one, you know, what we were just talking about is what you do once you're building this thing because you have this gut feeling of this is the thing I want to do. I want to make corned beef. I want to start this podcast. I want to make candles. But if you don't yet know and you're like, I wish I knew, I just don't know. So there's a few things. Number one, you can make a list of like what would be your dream scenarios if you didn't have to be perfect and just write it down. You might say travel writer, bed and breakfast owner, uh, cupcake you know owner. I don't know. Just write it down like bakery, you know, whatever you write down and then close your eyes and picture yourself doing each one and notice which one makes your chest feel the most like tight and which, (laughs) which one makes you feel the most like expansive and, and which one makes you feel that little like enthusiasm, like go off in your belly and give you that little like magnetic charge because circle that there's wisdom in that, you know, there's a little clue. The other thing you want to do is Go to like three to five people who know you well and ask them, what do you think of me for? What do you come to me for? Do you come to me for advice? Do you come to me for a good restaurant suggestion? Do you come to me to help you pick out clothes? Like what are the strengths that you think? And it'd be interesting because you'll start to see consistencies. People will say, you're the kind of person, you're just such a good listener. Or you're the kind of person who always helps me with, you know, anything technical. And, And that's important because often we are waiting for this like existential purpose to fall in our lap. And really the bigger question is how can I be of use? How can I serve? Mm -hmm. Because at the core of a business, 
it's someone else's paying you, which means by definition, someone else needs it. Someone else wants it. Right. So there's a difference between a hobby and a business. A hobby is I love to paint. I love to sew. Great. A business is this is what other people love that I paint. A, a, a business is I might like to sew, but the world has never really validated that I'm such a great sewer. But people tend to tell me that I'm really good at making cookies. So, hmm, I wonder if there's a clue there. Mm -hmm. Because we are built to serve. And so the business should be an extension of how we serve. And ideally, you want to find what you love to do that you're good at that other people want. And so that takes a little bit of looking and saying, what do people come to me for? What would be my dream thing? Are there any places where that lines up? Like with my songwriting, you know, I could have said, I want to write music and therefore I'm just going to try to become a rock star and I'm going to sing on the subway platform, but I would have made like $11. Mm -hmm. So I had to ask myself, if I love to write music, where is the customer? And I looked around and I saw that there was a big customer who paid well if you wrote songs that they needed for the stories they told in TV shows and movies. So I was willing to lend my talent to that. And there's a really great book my friend Jeff Goins wrote, and it's called Real Artists Don't Starve, mm -hmm. because we forgot the way business works with artists. And we forgot that Michelangelo was commissioned to paint the Sistine Chapel. And he was told what to paint and where to paint it. And it doesn't make it any less beautiful. And the man died with multi-millions in his bank account. And that's before you add inflation, right? <laughs> so he was a billionaire. He was a billionaire and Mozart was too. And Mozart was commissioned to write those symphonies because we are built to serve. So what Google does and what the Gap does and what Coca-Cola does and I, Apple, they're, they're not busy trying to convince you to want things they make. They're busy trying to figure out what you need and they're going and making it. Mm -hmm. And so again, it goes back to empathy. So the question is, how could I quickly figure out what people need that I might be good at making that I would like to make? And then how can I put my whole soul into that? That's how you can start to figure out maybe how you already have 15 things you could do that you could start as a business, which one makes you feel the most excited. And then you test it. Maybe you test one and people like it, but they don't love it. Or you test another thing and people love it, but you don't like it. And you test a third thing and you're like, now this is interesting. I like doing this. And people really do seem to like it. Like, like, did I ever think that I would be teaching a class called six figure songwriting and feeling so lit up from it? No, but I loved it. And I wound up starting a podcast and then I wound up teaching other courses and I'm so, so happy, you know, and I'm happier than I ever was working in an office or even trying for that record deal. I just feel so much more aligned with myself now, but it took a lot of different times and, you know, different ways of getting up at bat until it finally struck. So there's something here that is, is clear, very clear from what you're saying that when, when we look at our business as an extension of um, how we serve, how we serve others, how we serve the world, that it's part of a bigger mission, then therefore, there's no shame in the money. Um, that's what I'm hearing. And I think that's such an important message, because a lot of creatives, a lot of, let's just say a lot of people, even and, and women also, we might get very stuck in the money, like, 
oh, how could I get paid for this? Or there's certain things that come so naturally to us. And how could I be charging for this, right? Or we put money as this um, stumbling block, um, meaning that I would love to take this leap, but it's not going to make any money and I need the money, you know, but here we're saying no, when you're doing what you're meant to be doing, first of all, you're charging for it, and the money's going to flow. Yeah. Yep. And I, I mean, I have a lot to say about money. Because people, well, people often say money doesn't buy happiness. You know, that's all money does. That's all money buys is happiness. Happiness is the freedom to live life on your terms. Happiness is the freedom to spend time with the people you love. Happiness is being able to show up in the world the way you want to. You can do that when you have money. Happiness is buying you your freedom and your time. So money is amazing and money is gorgeous. And the thing is that, you know, in our tradition, you know, King David was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. That's not a crime. All the prophets have to be wealthy. And it's, it's, yeah, for sure. It's actually a greater spiritual test to be Mm -hmm. wealthy, right? Mm -hmm. To be able to receive that much light, Mm -hmm. to be able to tolerate that much goodness and not feel shame. See, joy is the most vulnerable emotion. Most people can't last there very long. That's why they tend to worry a lot and all of that. Mm -hmm. Because when you feel joy, you start to feel like, oh my God, what if something came and took this away? So it's better for me if I'm a little disgruntled, right? And like I feel a little bit of a sense of control because joy is really handing over control to the greater power, you know, and living with that calm, living with that sense of calm. But then we get get nervous, (laughs) too vulnerable. Exactly. (laughs) Letting go too much. Because... Yeah, because we have a human brain and that brain was created to protect us. So it's always looking for like a saber tooth tiger to come around the corner. Mm -hmm. And instead, there's no saber tooth tiger, but yet you're worrying constantly. And so joy is an elevated higher vibration for sure. It's harder. It's a bigger test than feeling sad. It's, It's harder. It's harder to sustain. It takes it takes going from a place of fear, probably into a, a state of gratitude, right? Like mm-hmm. instead of getting scared and starting to worry and complain, you just hold the joy by being grateful mm-hmm. and, and being grateful to your creator, being grateful to your peers, your family, your the world, all of it. So that that is a trick to, to keeping your joy. But the thing is that I see a lot of women, especially who will say, you know, if I could just make this much money, just 75,000, just it's like, what's with the just, Mm -hmm. there's like an apology, because I think we have a deep seated belief that if I have money, I can't be, I can't be a good person. Mm -hmm. I can't be kind, right? I have to choose either I get to be good and sweet, or I get to have money. That's not true. Bill Gates is one of the kindest people. Howard Schultz, who's another fellow Yid, was on my podcast. He grew up in public housing. Of course, he started, you know, Starbucks, built it to what it is, and he's worth billions. And he grew up at the last stop of the L train. Jewish family services used to give them food. They had no money. And he's one of the most humble, sweet human beings I've ever had the pleasure to meet. Same thing with Mark Cuban, who I just mentioned before. You you don't have to make that choice. You could be a rich person who's also kind. Mm-hmm. And if you think of it, it's so stupid. Think of your think of it right now. Like how many people can you think of who have no money who are really sweet? And how many people can you think of who have no money who are jerks? Mm-hmm. And how many people can you think of who have money who are jerks? And how many people can you think of who have money who are really kind? Mm-hmm. Like their name is on the bottom of a building. They they built this hospital. They're helping save the whales. They're right. helping these women. They're amazing, right? Mm-hmm. So 
It's that tool Money that, is- that, that it's a it's a neutral tool that God gave us to do our fulfill our mission in the world. We needed to do all these wonderful yes. things that is that that He wants us to do. It's funny that this whole conversation. I wrote a piece on this on why money. It's on Chabad.org. Why money can buy me happiness, and it's it's basically in a nutshell a lot of what we're saying right now. Um, so yeah, money. Money is amazing. And the thing is, it's, it's everywhere. You know, the, the world that Hashem made is abundant. There is, if you look at the rainforest, right, and you just looked at like one square foot of the rainforest, think of how many insects and how much green and how much is there minerals. and It's abundant. Mm-hmm. If you think of the ocean and how it just goes on for miles and miles, it's abundant. If you think of human beings and goodness and love and laughter, it's everywhere. It's abundant. There's never an end to it. Like how many times can you go on Instagram a day and find a new person who you admire and you're like, click, going to follow this person. Oh my God, someone else with a beautiful idea. Oh my God, someone else with a beautiful family and beautiful struggles. It's never ending goodness. And that's the same thing with money. And so what I've found to be fascinating is now that I make a few million dollars a year, I go to these like five-star hotels and there's plenty of room, but nobody's there Mm -hmm. because we keep ourselves locked in these cages. I'm not enough. I don't deserve it. And because if you're successful, it's going to require courage. It's mm-hmm. going to require your, you might get rejected or people might not like you. It, it kind of comes down to self-permission. Yeah. Like if you give self-permission to put on your crown and know that you're the daughter of the king. Oh, I love it. The Latin gonna, princess. It, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> yes. It's, it's going to work, but we don't give ourselves the crown. We, we become constantly, that six-year-old girl that's scared of what all the, the other girls are going to think and say. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really giving, you know, it's a lot of chutzpah to God because you're basically saying you don't know what you're doing right, You're because it's false. It's false humility. Mm-hmm, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the thing is there's 7 billion people plus in the world and everyone is needed. It's not like you could just say like, I'm not good enough to serve. So, you know, it's Oprah's job. Mm-hmm. It's Steve Jobs. It, it was his job. It's somebody else's job, not mine. I'm not good enough. It's like, it's not about being the Messiah. It's about are you available mm-hmm. to get scrappy and, and, you know, and like get some elbow grease in there and then just do whatever you can to show up. Yeah. Most people don't realize that the thing that the world needs from us is not our expertise. It's not our, you know, fancy clothes. It's not our PhD. They just want you to be present. Mm. They just need empathy. And I think when I, I look back on my music career or my podcast or my courses and I think like, why did that first webinar sell? Empathy, honesty, no mm-hmm. slides, just mm-hmm. real connection. Why did those phone calls actually work when I was so scared and shaking and calling NBC and calling these ad agencies on Madison Avenue? It's like, it was just the kindness of a human who spoke like humans speak and asking a question and telling the person, God, I'm so anxious to call you right now. I just wanted to reach out. I want to know what you guys need. I really want to serve. Mm-hmm. And I feel so nervous to call. You know, it's like, the humanity of it is what makes people connect. And then thank God we live in a human world. It's not robots. You know, we are, we, we connect with feelings. And so I think if you can show up and you can be authentic words from the heart, speak to the heart, right? It says that in the Talmud and it's true. So, so true. And I'm glad you talked about this abundance because I think this is a big one. And I was speaking about the same topic on Sunday night. I was gi- I was giving a, a lecture on building spiritual and financial resilience during this time. And one of the topics that I, one of the things that I mentioned is 
don't limit God. Like there is abundance in the world. He's infinite. So he can, he, he has for everybody. There's no limits. And don't, why are you taking, why are you taking his job away from him? You know, why are we trying to, like he has infinite ways of making yeah. the money come to you. Just infinite, up, right? Infinite. You, th- you're limited. You're in a box. So you think you make all these calculations and you forget that there's infinity. And so just I love show that. up, show up, serve with your heart, serve with your best, what you, ha- and, 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 and it'll get, it'll happen. Uh, right. Mm. Yes, that's really, really a, such a gorgeous point. Thank it's you for imp- making it. It's important to remember because I don't, we, sometimes we get stuck in this, like, I don't know, these feelings, like we said before, the shame and the how could I, and no, 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 just do what you need to do from the soul, from your soul. You know, it's like you said before, we have a soul print and it's unique and, uh, you know, we don't want to, it's like, you ever heard the story of Reb Susha of Annapoli when he, um, his biggest fear was he was about to die? Ever heard that beautiful story? Basically, they uh, asked him, they asked him, why are you terrified? Well, you're such a righteous man, right? And Rapsusha said, you don't understand. I'm terrified because I'm going to go up to Shemaim, to the heavens, and I'm not scared that yeah. they're going to ask me, Susha, why weren't you like Moses? Why weren't you like Abraham? Why weren't you like I- Isaac, Jacob? They're going to ask me, Susha, why weren't you Susha? And that's what we need to ask ourselves every day. Right. Nobody's going to ask Yael, why aren't you Kathy or Kathy? You know, I have to live up to the potential that Yael has. And each and every one of us has to do that. And and I think and I think we need to think about this honestly on a daily basis. How am I showing up? How am I serving? How am I contributing? Right. Yep, hundred thousand percent. Yeah. Kathy. I, we've talked about you here. You're very open about your Judaism and you have been on your podcast as well. And you believe in, in God, even though your audience is not necessarily Jewish. Um, was that something intentional from the beginning? Or was that something that just came up, you gravitated towards um, somewhere along the way? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been, you know, a person of faith Um well, at least since I was 20, you know, since I went to Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but I didn't know that I would talk about it on the podcast. Um, it wasn't really front and center in my work life. And then I couldn't help it because after a while, the podcast was such a, a it became, you know, such a part of who I am. Right. And the conversation became so much bigger than just talking about business, it was really everything we just said, you know, what does it take to be successful? What kind of courage? What kind of faith? What kind of inner work? And what kind of, you know, sort of spiritual synchronicity? And actually, I had this woman on my show, her name is Julia Cameron, and she wrote a book called The Artist Way. Mm-hmm. And she, it's a it's a book that has been uh, printed so many times, I think it sold 25 million copies. And in the book, she talks about how she's part of a 12-step program and she believes in God and she talks about, you know, in AA, how they talk about God. And I thought, wow, look how brave she is. You know, like I'm not in a 12-step program and I don't, you know, believe exactly what she believes about God, but look how, you know, she doesn't hide it. She just Mm -hmm. talks about her faith. And I thought, you know what, I think it's time that I just bring that into my show because it's such a part of the lens in which I see the world. Mm -hmm. And so I started to mention it. I was actually worried that people wouldn't like me. I was worried (laughs) that I would offend people. The little six-year-old came. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah, I thought, oh, you know, people who are atheists will hate me or mm-hmm. people who are not Jewish will think I'm a weirdo, you know, and instead it was the opposite. People, right. I think people, first of all, are, um, they're respectful and they're open to hearing how other people see the world. And also, um, I think people are thirsty for meaning. And mm-hmm. so even if they don't believe it exactly the way you do, or if they don't believe even at all, I think just hearing these things, it's, it's only beautiful. There's nothing, you know, about my faith or the way I talk about my faith that would make somebody feel judged. In fact, what people are really often surprised to learn is that I have no desire to convert anybody. You know what I mean? Like literally like that is, that's the opposite of a Jewish practice. And, and we really do believe that everybody is a child of God and everyone is good to go the way they are. And all I want is, is to be a light and, and to just, um, keep showing people that they're loved, you know, just exactly as they are. Yeah. And it goes back to that initial conversation about connection and about empathy. And so when you're showing up like that, they you're just allowing them to connect, they connect better because they see another human who's actually showing up in her truest form. So it's like you're not holding that essential part of yourself back. So they connect to that, I feel. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, this is Um, amazing. Yeah, Yeah, this is this is amazing. Now, if Kathy, if you were to describe Judaism in one word, what would that be? Hmm. Wow. What would that be? You know, the first word that came to my mind was hope, probably because that's what Hatikva means. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's why why I thought of hope, but I think of hope because I'll tell you why. Can I tell you a gorgeous story? Sure. Go for it. Do you know Rebbitz and Young Rice? Yes, of course. Okay. So she passed away, but she was one of the most brilliant minds and hearts yeah. that we had, such a guddle. And she shared this story several years before she died, I heard her speak and she was talking about why we as Jews pray every morning to be like a rooster. Mm-hmm. Have you heard this story? Mm, tell us, please. Oh my God. Do you know the story that she told? I've, I've heard it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, she basically said we wake up every day and we daven to be like a rooster. And when she was a child in the concentration camps, she asked her father, why do we pray to be like a rooster? I don't understand that prayer. And her father said, because the rooster is the first one on the farm who knows that when it absolutely can't get any darker, mm-hmm. everyone needs to wake up because the light is just about to break. Mm-hmm. And she said that, um, I don't know if you know, it seems like you know this story, but for anyone who doesn't, it's an amazing story. So she said that um, years ago, she was flying with um, George W. Bush on Air Force One. They went to uh, the opening, the reopening of Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Israel. And they were there for the ribbon cutting ceremony. He asked her to be his guest. And when they were flying back on Air Force One, she fell asleep and he tapped her on the shoulder at one point <laughs> And he woke her up and she was like a little bit startled. And he said, I'm so sorry to wake you, but I felt it was worth it. And she said, okay. And he said, do you know where you are? And she said, yes, I'm in the plane with you, you know? And he said, no, but look out the window. And so she looks out the window and she says, okay. And he says, do you know where you are? And she said, no. And he said, you're an Air Force One flying over Germany, flying back from Eretz Israel." Flying back, flying to the USA from Israel in Air Force One, hmm. which is the most powerful place you could be, right? With mm-hmm. the President of the United States, over flying over Germany. Germany. 
And she said, she and knows. that's what the, she said, that's what the rooster knows. Mm-hmm. She said, the rooster knows that when my, I can't say this without crying. I'm going to try to, anyway, she said, what the rooster knows is that when my head was shaved, there was lice crawling all over my body and people were being murdered all around me that one day mm-hmm. I would be sitting there. That's what the rooster knows. So when everything feels that it couldn't get worse, wake up because it's the beginning of the story. And what's amazing about that is also that in the Jewish calendar, Mm. every single day, right? Yom Echad, Yom Shtaim, like you go through the just every day of the week, right? Mm -hmm. The day doesn't begin in the morning. Begins at night. The day begins in the night, Mm -hmm. in the darkness, right? Mm -hmm. So we start in the dark because the darkness is the beginning of the story and the light that's the end. Mm-hmm. And that is Judaism to me. So I think 100%. it's hope. A hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Kathy, any Jewish values or traditions that are really dear to you that you've brought into your home, that you emphasize in your home, whether it be because you learned them as an adult or your husband brought them into the picture or they came from your parents' home, but anything that you really treasure that you um, hold on to? Mm, traditions, Jewish traditions. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one that gets me is kind of simple, but um, the very first time that I saw parents blessing their children Friday night, yeah. I was hysterically crying. Oh. And I thought if every child received a blessing right. every week, the world would be a different world. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want in. I was like, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to eat. Mm-hmm. I don't care what I'm going to do. I want in on this religion, all in. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. And and you saying that also reminded me of the, I don't, I don't know if you have this custom, but I have a custom to light a, can- a Shabbat candle for each of my children. So every child that's born gets a new light. So I don't light just two lights. So um, you know, some married uh, women light two candles, but there is a custom to add a light per child. And it's also, it brought me back to that because it's the idea that the child grows with that, that, the, that message that when you came into this world, you brought light, you and that, that's what you're here yeah. for to, to, to be a light in this world. So, so yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. And I, I, I feel like, um, you know, one of the most beautiful teachings that sort of resonates with that is when we were getting married, like a few weeks before the wedding, we kept meeting with the rabbi and, you know, we would go over different uh, pieces of the wedding to understand, you know, the bedeckin and, you mm-hmm. know, the ketubah, like all the different meanings. And at one point, my husband said, you know, I know it's a stupid question because I've seen it in a thousand movies and I've been to all these weddings, but like, why do we break a glass under the chuppah? Uh-huh. And the rabbi said, oh, because the very first thing you do after you are married, the very first thing you do is you break something to remind yourself that the reason you're getting married is not just so that you guys can go enjoy your life. It's so that together you become the people who you really are meant to be so you can fix the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you're made to be a light. You're made to fix. You're made to serve. It's the first thing you do as like, oh, together we'll serve better. Yeah. To get, so it's always that. It's always about being a light. That's yeah. it. That, there's no other reason. Yeah. We're part of a much bigger picture. And I think that is such, it's such a key to, 
to happiness and tranquility, to live with a sense of that we're part of a bigger, bigger thing. It's not about me. It's about the whole. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what's so interesting is that we live in a society where, you know, right now in the pandemic, people are going through such a hard time. And it's so obvious why. And it is so difficult. But what they don't remember is that a year ago, three months ago, before the pandemic, in 2019, 1.4 million Americans attempted suicide. Mm -hmm. Okay, and those are just the numbers that we have, meaning people who got called, called into a a hospital or called a hotline, like, there's more, right? And 50, how, how scary is this? 54% of the Americans surveyed last year said they were on some form of antidepressant. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. That's okay. So what I'm, wh- and what was the reason that they stated for the suicide and the, the depression? The number one reason stated was loneliness. Okay. So in the middle of a pandemic, when everything feels so awful and so uncertain, I wonder, I wonder if what's actually coming to the the forefront is the social isolation, is the distance. And then people for the first time are saying, I'm going to proactively get on Zoom with my parents. I'm going to proactively reach out to my neighbor because connection is so important. And maybe instead of going back to these businesses that might not survive, maybe we have to stop creating stuff and start working on creating community. Maybe the thing that we need to sell is connection is, mm-hmm. is, is, is all different ways of coming together and having experiences rather than buying products. You know what I'm saying? Or even For if you sure. are buying a product, is the product something that the way you're selling it, it makes people feel seen because this whole like world of look at me, it's not where it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be come with me. You know, that's why they say Moses was the most humble person ever lived. He doesn't want you to know where he's buried. It's not about him. It wasn't, he was a means to an end. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, but I, you know, I'm going to tell you something so powerful because I mentioned Howard Schultz and Howard Schultz told me, he said, I never tell this story. I don't know why, but you, you just, you brought out something in me. I want to share this with you. So he tells me that years ago he went to Israel and he, um, he was on a trip and nobody knows what he looks like. You know, he's famous in terms of his name, his business, right. Starbucks, but he doesn't, you know, look like an actor or something. So anyway, he was at the hotel and he was introduced to a rabbi um, who was the head rabbi of the Mir. Mm-hmm. Rabbi the Mir Yeshiva. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they connected and uh, they wound up learning Torah together. They wound up becoming Chavrusas. They would talk on the phone, you know, almost every day. And so he wound up going back and forth to Israel to visit him and to spend time there and all of that, which is kind of an awesome thing about Howard Schultz that most people don't know. But what he told me is that on one of the trips, they went back to the hotel and they walked up to the wall and they got about 20 feet from the wall and the rabbi stopped and said, this is as far as I've ever gone, but would you please go and would you say a prayer for me? And then Howard said, so I don't understand what you're talking about. Like, can you say that again? What do, what yeah, do you mean right. this is as far as you've ever gone? And he said, I've never touched the hotel. And he said, I don't understand. You've lived here your entire life and you've never gone further than this. And he said, no, because I just feel so hum- so much humility that I don't feel worthy of that. And and I I just want to be a part of a bigger picture and you, Howard, you are so incredible. Like, you know, if you're going anyway, please daven for me, you know, please daven for me. 
And Howard said he broke down into tears and he said that was that was all he just he he realized from that point on that's what he just aspired to have mm-hmm. is that kind of humility mm-hmm. where I just want to I just want to do my part. You know, I I have so much reverence for there's something so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me, 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 me. It's like I get to be a part of something so amazing. You know, when Abraham Joshua Heschel, when he was dying, and he's he's sort of uh, associated with being the father of the conservative movement, but it's not. It's interesting because he lived a very religious life, um, and and the conservative movement is also you know beautiful and and has done so much for the world, and he's such an incredible person. And when he was dying, he at one point he woke up and he was in the hospital bed and his students said, Oh my God, Rebbe, you're awake. And he said, why wouldn't he take me? I don't know why he didn't take me. I was ready to go. And they said, what do you mean? No, we want you to be here. It's so amazing. You're, you're awake. It's so amazing. You're going to live. And he he's, they said, how could you say such a thing? And he said, because all I asked for is wonder. And I got it in spades. Hmm. He said, I didn't need anything else. And every day of my life, Hashem has given me so much wonder. Mm. And I've gotten, I've got more than my share. You know, it's just like, this is, is just missing. Do you know what I'm saying? Totally. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Reminds me of the, the Modi'ani in the morning, just that, that those 12 seconds, it's just those 12 words of gratitude that, that, that the living eternal king has mercifully restored my soul. That means I have something to contribute. If, if he's bringing me back here and he has faith in me, you know, I always go back to that. Like it says his faithfulness is great. God has faith in yeah. me. You know, like th- that's like the, uh, they're talking about the amount of depression and anti- antidepressants, et cetera. Like if we really meditate on these ideas, I mean, it, it's, it's really powerful stuff. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. All right. Let's yeah, let's agreed. do a fun exercise that I do with all my guests. I coronate them with the JLP fill in the blank. So this is the part of the show where I'm going to give you an open-ended sentence and you're going to finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay? Okay. All right. Okay. Here we go. The first one is, I'm Kathy Heller and I feel most spiritual when? Oh, when I'm having conversations like this, like <laughs> deep, meaningful conversations about the world. I love it. I love it. My favorite mitzvah or one I connect with the most is? Mm, mikvah. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. A really good one. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Mm, oh, being in Israel and like a kumzitz, like sitting... Uh, in the Golan Heights. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. I had this conversation yesterday with my husband. He's like, I think it's time to go. And I'm like, I think so too. <laughs> He's like, seriously, oh, like, it's Israel. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. You know, I was thinking also, you gave the answer of mikvah. And I also thought like, it's so interesting that the three, during this whole pandemic, the three mitzvot of a Jewish woman are still intact, you know, like the other things, you know, were put on hold, the synagogue and the Torah reading and all that. But the those three essential mitzvot that hold the Jewish people together, challah, candle lighting and mikvah are intact. And it's just such a powerful thing to ponder and meditate upon. Anyway, something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Hmm. 
Mm. How much God loves us. Beautiful, beautiful. When I give tzedakah charity, I like to give two. Mm. Kiruv programs. Oh, nice. Specifically, specifically one program, one program specifically, which is called Israelite. Oh yeah, they do great which work. Just Rabbi David Aaron's program, which yeah. is the reason I'm I'm connected. He was my he was my shaliach. He's just wonderful. He really is just a wonderful person. I just had him on my podcast. Did you listen? I did. I did. Of course. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> I'm, I'm up to date. Yeah, no, he's the best. He's the okay. way. By the way, are you now that we we talked about your 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 earnings and all that? Are you systematic about giving tzedakah? Is that one of your practices that you take it seriously about giving miser ten percent or twenty uh, maybe? I I you know what I do, which I need to do. I need to do it systematically. Instead, I'm what I do is... I'm telling you today, you need to. I'm telling you this. So I know, I know you're already very blessed in this area, but this is one thing that I always teach women. God has told us to test us in this area. And I can tell you my life, Kathy, I wasn't always systematic with it. And I was a generous person and my husband also. But during the last recession, we realized that the, the financial paradigm of a Jew includes Sadaka as, as something that we do from the top line. And that changes everything 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 so there you go it totally does and i i'm one of those people who um my husband goes i'm not bringing you to yom kippur services next year because like they do these auctions yeah, yeah, yeah. and he goes what are you doing you keep raising your hand stop stop and i go well because i don't do it systematically so if i have a moment to do it he goes no because then people are gonna look at you they're gonna call you they're gonna you know like, it's so crazy please stop you're not made of money like stop doing it or like i i'll, I'll see someone you know like on facebook post something horrible happened to someone who i don't even know and there's like a gofundme thing yeah, and yeah, i'll just yeah. be like you know i'll just give someone a few thousand dollars like and I you know do it anonymously but I love what you're saying and you know something else I want to say about it I have a couple family members who recently fell on hard times because of the pandemic and Mm -hmm. lost their job and I decided to give one of them a job and I realized that 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 is something people forget can be a a form of tzedakah like pay the highest yeah Meaning like you don't have to only give money to charity. Like you could give money to your mother. You could give money to your cousin. Like you could give money to a person who needs you, who, who's in your family. I think that because people are like, oh, don't give to family and friends. It's, it's, I think that we forget that that's, that is absolutely like, in fact, aren't you supposed to first give to your family and friends? I don't know. I think that there's a halacha around that. Um, well, first, the first your community, there is halachas around that first there's there, but yeah, it's, it's supposed to start at home, but, but there's also what you mentioned to give, in a way that the person is empowered, meaning you give them a job. So it's like you're teaching him how to fish, you know, like you're not just giving him the money. That is actually, according to the Rambam, also one of the highest forms of giving. So, wow. yeah, yeah. So there you go. Did a big mitzvah there. Finally, I'm Kathy Heller. And today I feel most scri- uh, most grateful for. Mm. My amazing family, oh. you know, we, we went through 13 rounds of fertility treatment wow. and I have three, three kids, Baruch Hashem, and my husband and I worked really hard to find each other. We still work hard on our marriage. You know, it's like, it's a lot of um, effort and prayer. Wow. Very, very nice. What are their names? What are the girls' names? Um, the Hebrew names are Ada Lamuna. And our uh, Aliza Ariel and Menucha Batsheva, and they're 
there are names that we call them. So Eliza, we call her Eliza. Mm-hmm. And um, and Manucha, she's Maddie, Madeline. Mm-hmm. And Ada Lamuna, uh, I don't, it doesn't go with her actual name, but we couldn't decide on a name that we would call her that we also would like that wouldn't be Yiddish or Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So uh, we gave her another Hebrew name as her name that she goes by, which is Gabrielle. So she's, yeah, so Gabrielle, Eliza, and Madeline. Beautiful. You know, I have a Batsheva also. <laughs> My oh, girl, well, my my, old... gra- my grandmother was Batsheva and I was wow. very close to her. She passed away before Maddie was born. And then my husband's grandmother was Manucha. So we put it together, Manucha Batsheva. And then at Gorgeous. her baby naming, at her Simchat Bat, one of the rabbis stood up and he said, do you realize what you named her? You basically named her double Shabbos. <laughs> you named her Manucha Batsheva, which is literally she is a lightning rod for Shabbat. She <laughs> walks through the world and she's like, peace, Manucha Batsheva, like the joy of joys like the holy of holiest feelings like that's all she is i was like whoa i never thought of it like that i love it and while we're on it and then we're gonna wrap it up what is your hebrew name now you got me oh that's beautiful that's beautiful beautiful kathy heller you are awesome this was such a great conversation i feel like we could keep going on for two hours we're so in the same wavelength (laughs) yes tell us us where we can find you yeah so you can find me at kathyheller.com or you can find me kathy.heller on instagram i'm about to do a five-day challenge for free to help people build an audience and see what's possible to build online especially now Mm -hmm. um and my podcast is called don't keep your day job how do you leave your job and find your life's work instead and um, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts and thank you this was so fun it's one of the only times i've gotten to talk torah on a podcast and that feels so good and god i wish that you know it's moments like this where i wish oh i wish there was never a Holocaust or the pogroms because there'd be more Jews and we would have more this wouldn't be so rare but it's so rare because we're such a tiny tiny part of the world so of the tiny part of the world like how many Jews then became podcasters who are then connected to Torah it's like the odds of this conversation ever happening are so small and it was so enjoyable for me so I just feel you know grateful to you so thank you for doing such a good job thank you thank you I really appreciate that this was awesome thank you so much you're so welcome Thanks to Kathy Heller for stopping by. Ladies, now go work on what's that dream job and then go take concrete steps to do it. What's stopping you? Get out of your comfort zone and the box in your head and just do it. You'll learn a lot more. Yes, even in the pandemic, by the way. You'll learn a lot more about this from Kathy herself, of course, either on her website, kathyheller.com or on Instagram at kathy.heller. You can find her podcast, Don't Keep Your Day Job, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave a rating on iTunes. And to those of you who will join me inside the Jewish Money Makeover, I'll see you there very soon. Remember, there's still a few spots left at jewishlatinprincess.com forward slash JMM. Have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.